the King of Kings and uh, the creative power of the Holy Spirit is here. To think for just a moment that any time you meet, two or three are gathered together. You can trump that any time, no pun intended. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are always present. That's at least three. I get to join a Mexico quartet. That means that anything can happen. And the point is, God knows the deep recesses of your own heart tonight. He knows exactly what it is that he needs to say to you if you're paying attention. There is no subject ever preached out of this book but what it does not directly relate to you in some area of your life. You've heard me say before the definition of conviction is the power of the Holy Spirit identifying a need in your life that God would like to fix. And all of us have needs tonight. I want to talk just for a moment, and the message being joyful is a discipline. I'm going to pull text, of course, out of First Peter and Galatians 5.22. Nehemiah 8.10 makes this statement. It says, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, the part of that verse that we quote the most is what? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Isn't that right? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's a statement. But there is before that a command that says, do not grieve. Do not grieve, right? I'm not necessarily, it's not necessarily talking about that you should never have a sad moment or you should not grieve over some loss, particularly of a family member. But here's what it's saying. Very carefully, if you study, in those three words, it's don't get locked in to grief and forget the potential of understanding the answer to grief is the joy of the Lord. Now, we're going to have something to cause you to understand just in a few minutes that will say that's not something you can go down and buy. I was reading on study and preparation a couple of things that you never hear in church. Here's one. Uh, hey, it's my turn to sit on the front row. I don't ever hear that. Here's another. Personally, I find witnessing much more enjoyable than playing golf. I don't ever hear that one. Here's another. I love when we sing worship songs that I've never heard before. I've never heard that. You see, joy is a state of mind state of mind. It is a positive well-being. What is the value of that joy? Because joy is the answer to grief. Joy is the answer to disappointment. Joy is the answer to unbelief. Joy is the answer. There are at least four words out of the Hebrew language that relate to joy. One, one, joy at God's work and his attributes. The joy of God's work and his attribute. I can get excited about the work of God. Joy which invokes jubilant shouts. Jubilant shouts. That's a joy that is indicated. Joy of being enthusiastic. I'm excited about what's going on. I'm excited about the positive outcome. And the joy with a joyful disposition. A joyful disposition. Believers were created, all of us, Every person, we were created to have a joyful life. 
Believers were created, of course, and saved that we might manifest what we call the fruit of joy. In other words, that if people look at us, they might be able to say, that person just seems to have their act together, and it just seems that they are joyful and happy almost on every occasion. So Peter says, let me take a crack at what that means. And so 1 Peter, the first chapter, verse number 8, he's preaching and teaching here. He said, though you have not seen him, talking about Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. He said, is it possible that your relationship with God experientially manifested in your life, though you have never laid eyes on him, but because he comes in and does something so supernatural in your life that you can have an inexpressible joy that talks about how wonderful God is. Peter said, though you've never laid eyes on him, you understand what it means about the power of redemption. You understand what it means when you're able to say, you are a child of God. You understand what it means when you know my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. We understand that. How many of you know someone that has a grumpy personality from time to time? Come on, get your hand. Just kind of grumpy. How many are near them right now? Just let me see. Oh, my Lord, have mercy. I love the illustration man who went into the doctor's office. It was a small doctor's office. He walked in, of course, went to the receptionist. She greeted him with a grunt. And he said, I'd like to see the doctor. She said, you want to see the doctor? Go down the hallway, second door on the right, go in and take your clothes off. He said, but ma'am, I just need to see the doctor about something small. She said, I said, go down the hallway, two doors on the right, and take your clothes off. She said, but ma'am, she said, I said, get down there right now. He went down there. He opened the door, and there was another man in there that only had on his boxer shorts. He's freezing. It's cold in there. Cold in there. He looked and he thought, wow, that's amazing. He said, I, I just came in. I, I only have a little place on my chin that I wanted the doctor to check. That's it, just a, a little place on my chin. She, 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 she made me come down here, told me to come down and take my clothes off. And the guy with his box of shorts on said, that ain't nothing. I'm just the UPS man trying to make a delivery. <laughs> that's grumpy. Now, if you don't have anything to be happy about, be happy you're not married to that person, all right? There you go. Amazing. I'm just the UPS guy. You see, our world is being duped. We are being driven by a culture that is miserable. We're being driven by a culture that believes that joy and fulfillment can be purchased. Go out and buy you something else that brings pleasure momentarily. Go out and bargain or compromise for something. And then you'll have every, if you just put this one more piece in the puzzle, you'll have everything that you need. 
or find something in the next satisfying moment. And when that moment is over, you think, what do I do now? Satisfaction is gone. But here's what Peter says. When you know that you know that you have him in your heart, in your life, though you have never seen him, he said, here's what you, you make a disciplined decision. You have an inexpressible joy to be able to say, he loved you enough to reach down and fill you with his power, his love, and his anointing. Well, it's been tested. The writer of Ecclesiastes, old brother Solomon in the second chapter, and moving forward in verse 10, he said, I tried it. Here's what he has to say. It pretty well captures everything that our culture could try today. It's there. You can see it. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I walked down and I saw a Bentley and I bought it. I saw a Learjet, I got it, and I bought it. I refused my heart no pleasure. Didn't matter to me. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet, he said, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I'd told to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And there are a lot of people often raised in the church that have that touch of God in their life and they cannot capture the beauty of knowing what it means. You've got the greatest valued blessing in the whole world and that's to know Jesus loves you enough to redeem you and his hand is upon you and money cannot buy that. Somebody say amen. Whoever loves money, try this on for size. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? More than 7 million people taking drugs simply for depression today. Now, if you're taking drugs for depression, some of you are, keep it up. But I'm telling you, my friend, I believe that there is a way in which God can anoint and bless you and heal you. Here it is. Loneliness is becoming a way of life here in America. Loneliness. How many really absolutely close friends do you have that you can tell them anything, anytime, and not be condemned? That closer friend who would, who would in fact give up their comfort just for you? You see, the unbeliever is trying to build a life on the wrong foundation. When you look at it, here's some of the results that you do when you study. Do you know the average child laughs 400 times a day? Do you know how often the, an adult laughs? 15 times. You already spent four of them here tonight in the room. <laughs> 15 times to 400. Why is that? It's that mind in the head of our children. They do not let the world and the culture attach them. They look at life through rose-colored glasses. And as long as mama's happy, as long as daddy's happy, guess what? They're happy. And they can laugh at the most silly things. Peter goes on and says in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, So be truly glad. That's an admonition. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though the going is rough for a while down here. These trials are only to test your faith to see whether or not it is strong and pure. Next time you look at your test, salute it and go through it. 
to see if you're strong and you're pure. It's being tested as fire tests gold and purifies it. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried in the test tube of fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day of His return. You have the ability by the anointing of the Holy Spirit to discipline yourself not to let anyone upset you, not to let anyone snag you, not to let anyone demean you. You have the privilege to be able to maintain a healthy peace of mind in your heart by saying, I want to respond and live like Jesus instructs me. Peter says the foundation for your faith then is what? He said, here it is. You love though you haven't seen him and you trust your life. That means whatever happened today, whatever might be anticipated tomorrow, you trust your life into his hands. Psalm 16, 8 and 9. I have set the Lord always before me because he is my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. So I decide that. Here's another thing. Joy, you got to keep it. Keep it. Mark, the uh, fourth chapter, verse 18, still others. This is a parable. Like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life. But the worries of this life. Do you know anybody that likes to worry? Well, I don't like to worry, but I worry anyway. Worry is toxic to your faith. There is a better way. Well, that's good for you to say, but I was born from a whole line of worriers. Well, here's what the Bible says. When you became a creature through Jesus Christ, behold, all things passed away and all things became new. And God said, in your weakness, I am strong. So don't lean on that hereditary stick all the time. He says, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Try these words on for size. Here we go. Warren Wearsby, great, great writer. He says, our values determine our evaluations. Our values determine our evaluations. He said, if we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value material and physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all for joy. He says, if we live only for the present and forget the future, the trials will make us bitter and not better. It's all there in your notes, notes, a host of things. Three prop thieves to joy. I want to give them to you. Number one is worry. You see, it is defined as an inordinate anxiety about something that may or may not occur. An inordinate anxiety about something that may or may not occur. And here's what we find out. Most of the time it does not occur. That's the power of worry. What did Jesus say to those he was teaching in Mark 4, verse number 19? He said, the worries of this life, 
the seeds that God planted, the worries of this life, choke that powerful truth out of a person's life. And when worry is present, here's what we know. You'll be throttled back in your thinking. You'll be mentally harassed. And you'll be deficient in motivation. And when your tank of joy is something that, that drains your tank of joy with something you cannot change, that you cannot control, something that torments you, you need to take those things and switch them from your list of worry to your prayer list. And say, God, they're off my worry list. Now that my prayer, here's the second thief, is stress. How many know what stress is? Usually it's right in here. You, you see what I'm saying? Just kind of right in there, gets in your shoulder, etc. Stress will kill you if it continues. Stress will shorten your life. Stress, my friend, will create physical challenges that you should never have to endure. And God never intended for his child to live under so much stress. It's a little more acute than worry. It's that intense strain on a situation you cannot control or manage. I talk to a lot of people, always say, take the high road. Don't let it stress you out. I talk and teach to people, yeah, it's a big old mountain. Let's take a shovel and let's go to taking it down one at a time. Keep the stress down. I've said to you over and over, put things in your mind, send them out into oblivion and just get rid of them, let it go. You can't do anything about it. And if God says, I want you to deal with it, he has the ability to send it right back. Give people the benefit of the doubt. The American Psychology Magazine reported and said one third of American adults are stressed out and worried about having a nervous breakdown. A nervous breakdown, worried about having one. It doesn't have to be. Fear is another joy stealer. Fear is an emotion. Adam and Eve knew what it was to be afraid, didn't they? We know that uh, Abraham knew what it was to, to be afraid. They confronted him and said, who is that woman, that beautiful woman? Her name is Rebecca. Oh, and she's my sister. She's not my wife. She's my sister. Why did you do that? He said, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she's beautiful. I was afraid. I was afraid. Here's another. This is big. Fear of others' opinion will pressure you into making choices you may not want to make. Fear of others' opinion. My friend, God can speak to you through his word, through your prayer time, and through wise and godly counsel. And let me just encourage you, don't run around spouting your opinion on issues that nobody asks you what that opinion is. Is that, is that good enough? Just don't do it. Don't do it. Because what you do then is you place a burden on that person to then try to decipher because they value your friendship. And now that you volunteer what you think they ought to do, you get in the way of them coming to a clear and direct decision. So what's the best policy? If someone wants your opinion, they will ask you. 
Don't, don't shout me down. I told you it was a teaching session. Always tolerate those who disagree with you. You've heard me say it. Because they have a perfect right to their ridiculous opinion. <laughs> Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. And I say again, rejoice and let your gentleness be evident to everybody. And the Lord is near. So here are three steps to managing that. They're right there. One, feed your mind with positive thoughts. Feed your mind with positive thoughts. Meditation. I'm not talking about the guru. Mm, not talking about that. I'm not talking about going out and sitting down and crossing your legs waiting for nature to speak to you. I'm telling you that he, the king of kings, the spirit of almighty can speak to you. But fill your mind with positive thoughts. Just get into this book. Get into this book. Fill in your mind with positive thoughts. Number two, focus your attention on encouraging role models. Encouraging role models. People that you look to and say, boy, they seem to have it together. That's good for a lot of people that I know. And remember what God has done in the past. Your past cannot compare to your future if you're committed to Jesus Christ. And then find, find the God of peace in every circumstance, according to Philippians 4, 9. Be, find the God of peace in every circumstance. How do you find that God of peace? Somebody comes up, gives you a hard time. How do you find the God of peace? You think, God, I know they didn't mean it the way that they said it. I just found the God of peace. God, I know they must just really be upset or got a bigger problem going on than what I am. I just found the God of peace. How do you find the God of peace? You say, Lord, I know they must have lost their mind because they would have never said that. I'm just trusting them to you. What did you do? You found the God of peace. What is the God of not so peace? I'm going to knock their head off next time I see me see it again. I'm going to slap their lips all the way back to their ear. That's no peace there. So finally, joy. Show it. Joy. We have anybody here whose name is Joy? Okay. All right. I didn't see a hand. Anybody here would like your name to be Joy, we'll just christen you right now. We'll call you your first name, Joy, unspeakable. Here we go. Philippians 4.11. You knew we'd get to it. Here it is. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. This is Paul. If ever a guy had a need, that culture owed him, owed him something, it would be Paul. I'm not saying because I have need for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I say he found the God of peace. I say that he found what Peter was talking about when he said, you haven't seen him, but you have an inexpressible joy that's in you because you know he has redeemed you. So Paul says, hey, as long as I have his hand, I, my life is sold out to him. Death is not going to scare me. That electric bill, that gas bill, that need for insurance, that need for a big, whatever it is, is not going to scare me because I know that God has everything covered. 
It's true. And what was the ministry of Jesus that's our ministry? Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, and he sent me to build up the broken heart, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. So he says, I'm busy about the Father's business, and if I'm busy about his business, I have nothing left but to rejoice in the Lord. Worry, fear, stress, none of that. You see, often we let our relationship with God become cold and routine. And when we rejoice in the delight of joy in the Lord, it suggests that our confidence in the Lord is true, and he has his hand upon our life. All of us have times and seasons and days and hours. We could scrap with anybody. All of us. I mean, just I'll, I'll, I'll use this term Sunday. It's in the message. You're going to have battles and blessings, you know, but you won't recognize a blessing unless you've had a battle. That's the beauty of serving God. So all of us have things that we could just get out of shape. All of us have needs that weigh us down that we say nobody else has a need like this. I can give you the names of three people right now that have gone to Hades and back, but came back better than when they went in because of the grace of God. And those around them never gave up hope. He is on the throne. Amen. He's on the throne. Irma Bombeck. She told about a little boy that was in church with his mother. Well, let's say he was two and a half or three years of age. He's a good little boy in church, always quiet and well-behaved. He didn't cause any problems. But every once in a while, he would stand up in that little church and turn around in the pew and look back to the adults behind him. And he would just smile at them, look at them. And his little smile was contagious to the other people. They smiled back. All the things you do. He did that for probably a month or six weeks. Finally, his mom found out what he was doing. She grabbed him by the ear, twisted it, and sat him down and told him, Remember, you are in church. He went to sniffling, he went to crying. Big old crocodile tears poured down his cheeks, and she says, Now that's better. <laughs> the devil grab you by the spiritual ear. Because he'd rather you be upset and broke and weeping all the time. But God said, No. When you're in my family, stand up and let the joy and let the love and let the smile Amen. and let the peace that passes all understanding, let everybody see it because there's so many trying to buy it and it's not for sale. It's in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's get up and give our hands together for a praise offering for the Lord. There you go. Come on, everybody. Thank you, Lord. Let's bow our heads. Maybe you're in the room tonight or maybe you're listening online. 
And maybe your heart is not right. Maybe you're a miserable person and maybe you've got a ton of reasons in the natural to be miserable. But sooner or later, you're going to have to give your position to come out of that pit. And tonight is a good reason. Sooner or later, you're going to have to make up your mind because nothing or no one, no one is going to be able to change what goes on inside your head. But I tell you, there is one that would love to invade inside your heart that can change your life forever. He can make your mountains be reduced to nothing. He can take your stress and just breathe on you by his spirit and cause it to cease. He can give you boldness as a lion and take that fear away. He can create peace that passes all understanding and take the anxiety away. He can take your worry away about what may or may not happen tomorrow and replace it with the confidence and the assurance he's in control. You see, God loves for you to bring, as some of you have tonight, in your hands broken pieces, broken hearts, broken dreams, broken ambitions, difficulties that are there that's pressed you beyond measure. And he loves to reach down and take those ashes and those broken pieces and put it together and infuse you with his dynamic Holy Spirit that brings the joy of the Lord, that brings a peace that passes all understanding. That's the God that we serve. That's the one that desires to live in you. So just in case, I'm going to ask everyone to repeat this prayer after me. Here we go. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I am asking you now to move in my life so that my sins, my unruly behavior, my stubbornness, my rebellion will be gone by the grace of God. I am believing by faith. If I confess you as Lord, I am now forgiven. I am changed by the grace of God. Help me accomplish your perfect will in my life. In Jesus' name, In Jesus name. Amen. amen, amen. If you need prayer, you have some physical need, James 5, 14 says, come on down. If God spoke to you in this message, and you're going to manage it your way, my friend, if God spoke to you and it resonates right now that you should slip down here to this altar for just a few minutes, let me encourage you, do it God's way. Because let me tell you who's never going to tell you to slip to the altar. It's the enemy of your soul. So that voice you hear that says, come on down, that's the Lord. And when you do, heaven will come down out of one act of obedience. So just worship together. If you desire to come, you come now, and we'll pray in just a moment, please.